For God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the great privilege to be called by your people. God, we thank you for that great sentence that God created. God, you are the creator and sustainer of all life. So, God, we are aware of your goodness and of your majesty this morning. And yet, God, when we are aware of that, when we come into your presence and we know your power, we know your holiness, we are reminded of our sinfulness. We are reminded of how we fall short of your glory. So, God, we come confessing our sins. We confess our sins of anxiety. We confess our fears to you, God. We confess that in situations in our life, we often believe that you will not come through. God, we bring forth our doubts and our, our, our worries, God, that sometimes they take a, a more prominent place in our thinking than your power, your creative power. So, God, we confess our, our sin to you today. God, we pray that as your word says, that you will cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And that because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, we pray that you would cleanse your people of their sins and you would allow us to live more in faith. Father, we pray for those in our congregation who are hurting. We pray that you would continue to sustain and, and strengthen Ken Tedder. Father, we thank you for the courage that he has, has, has shown as he's faced this cancer. Father, we pray that you would just strengthen his body. Each day, God, let him be a little more stronger than the last. Father, we pray that you would protect his faith in the midst of this. God, that his faith in you will radiate and shine to his family and friends. We, we thank you for Sandra, God, and how she has, she has cared for him so well in these, in these days. Father, we pray that you would just strengthen and give her the grace needed to care for Ken. Father, we pray for Melissa Palou and Devin as they're home again, just continuing to battle uh, these issues of sickness. God, we pray that your grace would sustain them, that you would shine your power in their life. Father, we pray for uh, Rich as he's battling sickness and Jeremy, Lord. We pray as you will, you will strengthen them and allow them to, to be returned to full health as they go and get the mission ready in Pennsylvania. Father, you are so good to us in so many ways. Father, there's so many other needs um, that are in this room that we don't know about. So, God, whatever needs the people are facing now, we pray that you would meet them specifically and uniquely according to your great and glorious grace. Father, we do pray for... Uh, Timothy, this morning, as he stands to be baptized and confess what you have done for him in Christ, we pray, God, that you, in your kindness, would just allow this day to be a day that he will never forget, but it be a day to encourage and strengthen your church. Father, we do pray for the church in Rock Hill, God. We pray this morning for Dave uh, O'Donnell at um, Eastside and Ray Martin, God, as they are facing several challenging things in their church. We pray that you would just bless that congregation that you would be kind to them, help them see your, your great and glorious grace. So, God, now we come to you asking for even more grace. Father, we pray that you would quiet our hearts, that we would submit to your word. Father, as your word goes forth today, we pray that we would not be those who only hear, but, God, that we would be changed and be doers of the word. As we even talked, even in the Sunday school hour, God, that we would feel the presence of God. That right now that we would have an encounter with the living God. That the Holy Spirit would rest upon our hearts. That you would convict us of sin. That you would remind us that great is thy faithfulness, God. Morning by morning we see your mercy. So God, I pray that you would just show yourself strong. 
Father, I pray that the word of God would go forth in power, God. I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be pleasing in thy sight, thy Lord, thy rock and redeemer. Uh, Dear God, we pray that you would strengthen your church, that you would form these people uh, with a worldview that is grounded in your word. So, dear God, I pray now that you would come, that you would come in abundance to bless and edify your people who are called by your name. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. ISIS, gun violence, economic collapse, unsafe drinking water, global warming, racial tension, political instability, worldwide pandemics, technological blackouts, zombie apocalypse. Fear is everywhere. Whether you turn on the news or you turn on a television show, we are under the constant barrage of a world that says you should live in fear. You know, and fear doesn't even appear only in the mainstream media. There's fear right now in our pews. Fear in your own lives. We even hear in in churches, pulpits across America, the church is dying. The culture is moving away from the Lord. The younger generation do not like tradition. The older generation likes tradition too much. We're not making our budget. We are trained in our world to live in fear, anxiety, worry. And fear, at its core, is a lack of faith. Fear underestimates the power of God. We are taught in the scripture, Psalm 118, verse 6. It says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The reason that we do not fear is because the Lord is on our side. And yet, that's not new to many Many people know that the Lord is on our side, and yet they still live in fear. And I believe the reason why they live in fear is because they do not know the Lord, as revealed in the Scripture, who is on their side. It is one thing to say that the Lord is on my side. It is quite another to say the Lord, the Almighty, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, the King of the universe, my Savior, my Redeemer, is on my side. The Bible teaches us what God has done and what he is like. The foundation of our understanding of who God is, his character, is right here in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Now Genesis was not fundamentally written to explain all the details of gravity or the various types of dinosaurs or how Cain found a wife. Genesis was written to a fearful people. Genesis was written to fearful Israel who were surrounded by pagan nations worshiping pagan gods. Genesis was to tell the people of Israel that Yahweh, our God, is like no other. 
Moses wrote uh, Genesis after Israel's exodus from Egypt, probably sometime when they were wandering in the wilderness before they entered the promised land, immediately following his, which right before his death. Now, Israel lived in a pluralistic culture. They, they, they saw this when they lived in Egypt as slaves, that the Egyptians worshipped many gods, and they were right on the edge of the promised land, about to go into Canaan. And Canaan was also a pluralistic nation, a nation who believed in many gods. Moses wanted Israel to know that they did not need to fear, because God, Yahweh, Elohim, was far greater than their gods. Yahweh is greater because he is the creator king of the universe. Now we think of Israel's story. Their story is not much different from ours. We live in a world of plurality. Many have different beliefs in God, the gods of our culture, and we are tempted to believe that the gods of our culture, that which is in the world, is stronger than our God, that we should fear those things rather than we should fear God. The words of Genesis may not answer all your questions about science, but they should reveal to you the power of the creator, king of the universe. So I pray this morning that you will be trained not to fear Whatever you're fearing in your life, whether on the grand scale or personal things in your life, I pray that you will be taught this morning not to fear. For you have the Lord, the Creator, King, God Almighty on your side. If you want to follow along on the outline provided for you in the bulletin, the first point is the Creator, King, systematically speaks creation. The Creator King, what does He do? He systematically speaks creation. The reason why we should have confidence in God is because He created an ordered world out of chaos through His powerful Word. We see that throughout this text. Genesis 1 is a beautiful passage of Scripture. And I wish I spoke Hebrew better because the original hearers who would have heard this in Hebrews would have been blown away at how Moses set up this text. Sometimes when you translate the the Hebrew to the English, we we lose something. The way Hebrew is is written, it's written for the the ear. So there's this pounding that happens when you listen to Hebrew. There's this shock that, that would have happened to the original hearers because they were an auditory culture. The Hebrew structure and the arrangement of the chapter echo God's perfection time and time again throughout this. The English Bibles end after the sixth day, while the Hebrew structure clearly wants to go to chapter 2, verse 3. We see that in chapter 2, verse 3, just look there, it says, chapter 4, it says, these are the generations. That's called a toledot. All that means is these are the generations. And the way Genesis is, is structured, those of you who are reading the book and want to understand it, it's structured with a new section every time, these are the generations. So if you're reading and you say these are the generations, that's a new section of Scripture. There's also a chiastic structure or an inclusio. So at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, we have verse 1, which says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then in Genesis 2-3, what we have, we have the same vocabulary used in Genesis 1-1 in Genesis 2-3 in reverse order. 
So what the author of Genesis wants you to see is Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 2-3 should all be fit together. Now this will make sense, Lord willing, here in, in a second. Why are we looking at all these, these details? These details are important because Moses wants you to see how God systematically created the world. He systematically ordered the text, arranged it in a very specific and unique way to remind the people of Israel who are hearing it that our God is perfect and that he created a perfect world. It's fascinating. That first line of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is not just the opening line of the Bible. That is a worldview for everyone in this room. How we view the world should be grounded in Genesis 1.1. Scholar Derek Kidner observes this, I quote, It is no accident that God is the subject of the first sentence of the Bible. For this word dominates the whole chapter and catches the eye at every point of the page. It is used some 35 times in as many verses of this story. God is the main character of the Bible. Genesis 1 highlights the perfection of God. Sidebar, the Bible primarily is not about you. The Bible primarily is not about your experience. The Bible primarily is about God and our relation to Him. That's why the beginning of the Bible says, in the beginning, God is a reminder that we are creatures and He is far above us. And yet, as we see the Bible unfold, we know that God is not only far above us, but he is also one with us. Moses, as I said, systematically wrote this chapter. So he uses the number seven in a very unique way when he, when he, when he writes this text. Seven is the number of perfection in the Old Testament. So seven, three, and ten were numbers that, that, that symbolizes wholeness or, or completeness, perfection. And we see that used throughout this section. So there's seven days, seven times God said, and it was so. Seven times God said, saw that it was good or very good. Heaven and earth are mentioned 21 times each. 21 being a multiple of seven, three times seven. God is mentioned 35 times, also a multiple of seven, seven times five. So God perfectly ordered creation. That's what Moses wants you to see. He structures it in such a way, using the multiples of seven, and the multiples of three, and the multiples of, of ten, to show you that our God is perfect. He's perfect in creation. Even how he structures the days. He doesn't just have, has six days, but he has two sets of three. He has the first set of three and the, the second set of three. And in those sets of days solved the problem stated in Genesis 1-2. Look what the Bible says in Genesis 1-2. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right there you see the, the problem. The earth was without form and void. Those are the two things that God has to correct to, to create the world. So what you see in the first three days is God solves the problem of the, of the form. He, he creates forms for our, our world. Each day was, we see this very similar setup. We see, look at verses 3 through 5. It says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. 
and God saw the light was good. God separated the light from darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. That's a, an order as you see throughout the book of, throughout the chapter, Genesis 1. You see an announcement. God said a command, let there be a report, and it was so, an evaluation. It was good and a chronology, the first day, the second day. On the first day, God started to solve the problem of form by separating light and darkness. On the second day, he separated the sky and the waters. And on the third day, he separated the water from the land and made vegetation. So the way that it is being written is not to give you every detail of how the world was created, but was to show you that God solved the first problem of form. He created forms. And then the second set of three days, he filled those forms, solving the second problem we see in Genesis 1-2, void, without form and void. So he fills the form in Genesis of the first set of three days, and he solves the void problem in the second set of three days. He filled the earth with the luminaries of the sun and the moon, the greater light for the day, the lesser light for the night. He filled the sky with the birds, the, the sea with, the, with fish. He provided animals and man to fill the earth, with man being the pinnacle of creation, set to rule and exercise dominion over the earth. So the all-wise, infinite God perfectly ordered creation. Now, there are, are scores of, book, of books about Genesis 1. How many days? How much is 24 hours? Is a day literally 24 hours or a day a period of time? How, if the earth is, by scientists, millions of years old, well, some say it's only 6,000 years old. There is debate back and forth on this issue. And sometimes having those conversations are healthy. But never forget, when you have those conversations about the age of the earth and what happened in creation, never forget the purpose of why this book was written. This book was written to show you that our God is above all other gods. Our God is above. Our God is number one. Our God perfectly created this world. So that those people who are living in fear should not fear others, but you should fear God. That's why Genesis 1 was created, was written, so that Israel would not fear the, the cultures, the gods of the nations surrounding them. So we see God solves the problem of earth without form and void by his word. Creation came into existence out of nothing, ex nihilo, the Latin says, by the very word of God, the word goes forth and brought a, a that the, the, the one who always existed brought the world into existence by his word. So remember that, that word again, that, that, that number ten. Ten times we see in the text, and God said. And God said. Now think of Israel's history. How would the number ten register to the original audience of Genesis. Well, if you, if you know the history of Israel, they would have immediately thought the, the ten plagues that God brought down upon Egypt. They would have immediately thought of the, the ten words that God spoke to his people at Mount Sinai. Moses is explaining how God 
created the world by giving ten words to his creation. He gave a perfect demonstration of his judgment on Egypt. He gave a perfect demonstration of the law to his people. And now he's saying that God gave a perfect demonstration to the world of his creative power. God speaks and it is so. God, Elohim, is the king of the universe. See, so God, is, Moses is showing that God brings order out of chaos. God solves the problem we see in that Genesis 1-2. Well, that same theme is carried over to the New Testament. This is what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus Christ brings order that which is chaos. John chapter 1. We read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made. That was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the perfect Word, he is the Word made flesh. Jesus is one with the King of the universe. And not only is he the is one with the king of the universe, we learn from Colossians chapter 1, he was the one who spoke the world into existence. Colossians 1:15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things were created through and for Jesus Christ. Genesis 1 repeats ten words, and God said, as a sign of his perfect work in creation. And now what we see in the New Testament is that God continues to speak, but no longer through the prophets, but now he speaks the perfect word through the Son, the perfect word of redemption. Listen to what Hebrews 1 says. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Genesis 1 God solves the problem of the earth being without form and void. So now God has spoken to solve the problem of sin and death through the word made flesh. Jesus, the one who created the world, emptied himself of that glory and became a servant made in the likeness of man. He became like one of us. The creator became like one of his creatures, being made in the likeness of man to solve 
Ultimately and finally, our problem with fear. The reason why you should not fear is because the same God who created the world by his powerful word is the same God who came to die in your place. He's not only a God of power, but he is a God of love. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this of how Jesus, what Jesus does for us. Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you see how this is connected? Israel was, was under slavery to Egypt, and God spoke ten words And they were freed from their bondage to the Egyptians, the most powerful nation at the time. And yet, our God now speaks the the perfect word over our slavery to sin. He has freed us from lifelong slavery for fear of death. Because we know as believers in Christ, when we die, we will not die and go be, be punished in hell. But we will be born again to God's presence. Well, He will be our God and we will be His people. The perfect word... God spoke in Genesis is the perfect word God still speaks today. Genesis 1 is a picture for us. The great problem of Genesis 1 was solved by God's word. And the great problem that we have today is also solved by God's incarnate word. Jesus still speaks. The question is, have you heard his word? Have you heard the word of Christ? Well, the second thing we see here is the creator king sovereignly rules creation. So not only that he systematically speaks and orders creation, but he sovereignly rules. Moses wanted to show that God is the one who is the sovereign king over creation and not the other gods. You know, we know that Israel would have been exposed to these other gods, the gods of the Egyptians. They had a god of the sun and a god of the moon. And even how God arranged the text, what do you see? On the fourth day, God created uh, the, the lesser light to govern the night, and the greater light to govern the day. He doesn't use sun and moon specifically because the Egyptians called their god sun and called their god moon. And God wants everyone to know that these gods, that these, this powerful nation worships are merely my creatures, along with the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Now, Israel struggled with fear. Israel feared many things, but they did not fear God alone. Remember that when when Genesis 1 was written, it was probably written to to many of those who were on the brink of the promised land. They were were ready to go into the promised land, and and yet they send out spies, and they came back and they said, these people are are big. I'm not sure if we can take them. And Caleb rose up and said, our God will be with us. Let's go. And everyone said, no, let us go back to Egypt. So God said, go to the wilderness. Every one of your leaders, every one of your elders must die before I allow you to enter the promised land. So they probably would have been walking for 40 years in the wilderness, reading this text, saying that you don't have to fear. How many of you today are living in fear? Fear of what's coming. Fear of the unknown. You don't have to fear. 
I don't know about you, but there's some days where I feel crippled with anxiety. Just worried about lots of things. Whether it's the church, my, my, my family, my health. You just have those moments where you feel crippled. You know what, what we should do when we have that moment of, of crippling anxiety? That moment of fear? We should take a walk. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Doesn't he? Matthew chapter 6. He says, you see the birds? You see the sparrows? You see how, how they have all that they need? Reminding back to Genesis 1 about his creative power. Oh, you, you're worried about what you're going to have to, to wear. Do you see the, the lilies of the field? Do you see the flowers? They have all that they need. And are, are not you more valuable than they? Sometimes when we are crippled with fear and worry, take a walk and look at God's creative power. The same God who spoke all that into existence is on your side. The Lord Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You can trust. You can trust God. The power is displayed in his creation. And always remember the same one who, who has that power is the same one who stands now with pierced hands. Because our God, who is the God of power, is also the one who came and died in your place. But let me close with this last point. The Creator King safely restores creation. The Creative King, Creator King safely restores creation. One of the dominant themes of Genesis 1 is not only that God created but that he created it good. God looked over all that he had made and said that it was very good. We see that it was excellent. It was superb. It was spectacular. We, we have drummed down the word good. Good in the Bible is perfect. And yet so, so many times we use it as just kind of a nonchalant word. God saw that it was amazing, spectacular. And what happened after he said that? Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Look with me there. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rested on the seventh day and made it holy, so right now, we gather on this Sabbath day, the seventh day, because God set it apart as an ever-present reminder that there is a Sabbath rest that awaits the people of God. When we gather here on Sunday morning, what we are doing is we are practicing what we will be doing for all eternity, when we are in God's presence. We remind our own hearts that we no longer have to work for our salvation because the perfect work of our salvation has already been completed in Christ. Christ has finished the work. Yet we labor and we, 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 we work for God's glory 
But we don't think that our, our labor earns God's favor. God has already shown us His favor in His Son. God will bring about a perfect redemption. Genesis 1.1 to Genesis 2.3, we, we don't see the sin of Adam and Eve. We don't see the fall of mankind. And yet, the ones who are hearing this would have known of sin. They would have borne the, the whips of the Egyptians on their back. They would have seen their loved ones die in the wilderness. We do not see sin in the creation account, but we all have experienced the effects of sin. The effects of sin is a reminder that the world we live in is not the way it's supposed to be. God rested on the seventh day after all that He created was very good. Today and every Sabbath day, we model what God did in creation. God rested. We gather as God's people and remember that we have rested from our labors. We no longer try to earn God's favor from our work, but we rest in the finished work of God's incarnate Word. Jesus Christ has finished God's work. He now sits at the right hand of God, ready to, to return and fully restore His perfection. Have you experienced that rest? Are you still trying to earn your salvation? Or have you just rested in Christ? Our gathering this morning is a reminder of the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God has brought salvation. Jesus hung on the cross and said, It is finished. The work is done. And he rested. Beloved, we have been purchased through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to rest in Him and wait for that day when God will give the final Sabbath rest of the people of God. God saw the words spoken in the Son and saw that it was very good. Beloved, the Lord is on your side. Let us not fear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this Sabbath rest that we have in Christ. God, I pray, Lord, that you now would uh, allow us to live as people of faith, trusting that you are the Creator King. And when we are struggling with fear or anxiety, that we would understand of your power and your love. And that we would not fear, because we know that you are our God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, we have a special opportunity uh, when someone's going to come forward and show that they have put their final rest in Christ. So I'm going to invite Timothy Schellenberger on up. Um, he's going to be baptized today. Uh, baptism is an ordinance that is passed down from the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as he commissioned his church to go into all the world, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that the Lord commanded. A baptism is a symbol that someone has repented of their sins and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6.4 says this of Christians, that we were buried, therefore, with him in bat by baptism into death, in order that Jesus, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So Timothy has come forward today
to be baptized, to, be, to identify his life with Christ's death, and to be raised to walk in the newness of life. So before we 